Clyde the Glide says we're the two best in the game, but I'm not getting into a war of words with Mike. Clyde was a threat. You know, I'm not saying he wasn't a threat, but me being compared to him, I, I took offense to that. I'm working for NBC. I'm covering the finals. So the night before game one, we were at Michael's house playing cards, and he said, you know what's gonna happen tomorrow. I'm gonna give it to this dude. So he hit that first three. And then here come the second one. The third one. Michael didn't want anybody to have nothing over him. D and Davis, the show, and we're going to continue our little breakdown of The Last Dance, and we're lucky enough to have retired sports writer Kerry Eggers out from Portland to help us break down the second title, and also not just the second title, I kind of want to talk to him about that first title with the, the Trailblazers are going against the Pistons and what their expectations to kind of get a full view of what was taking place in Portland and not just what was happening here in Chicago. How are you doing, Kerry? Good, Ken. How are you doing? Definitely doing good. So listen, I was, uh, I was on your timeline today. And I saw uh, you, you quoted the, the Mike when he said that Clyde, you know, he was a threat, but basically he wasn't on his level to a certain degree. And you, you told him, you know, take a, take a chill pill or a little humble pill or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, for you, where did you rank them? And I, of course, that season, Clyde finished second in the MVP race. But just as far as Michael Jordan ascending to be, quote unquote, perhaps a GOAT, you know, some people love LeBron now. Some people are Magic fans. Some people are definitely Cap fans. Where did you rank Clyde Drexler to Michael Jordan? How close were they or how far apart did you rank them as players? Well, they were definitely one, two in the league that year. You know, let me, let's go a little history. 1989, Rick Adelman took over as, as head coach of the Blazers. That season, they get to the finals. They lose to the Pistons. The next year, they had the best record in the league in the regular season. I thought they were the best team in basketball that year. They lost to the Lakers in the conference finals. Clyde had a fantastic year. Uh, and that was the year that they picked. 10 of the 12 Dream Team members. They allowed two uh, players to be picked the following year. Uh, that be, wound up being Clyde and, and Christian Leitner, one college player. So Cl- Clyde was coming off a great year. He knew he had to play well in 92 to make that Dream Team. He thought he should have been on it before. Of course, Isaiah Thomas felt that way too. But he had a fantastic season that year. They got to the finals, lost to the Bulls in six games. How close were they as players? I'm not so sure I can say that, but I can say they were the two best players in the game that season, and they both played shooting guard. Michael had the great advantage in the finals. He played fantastic. You remember that first game where he hit six threes in the first half? So he had the advantage, but how much difference? I'm not so sure. All right, look, going back, I can remember at the beginning of the series, we were we were teenagers. Or, no, we weren't even teenagers yet. I was in grade school, I believe, here. when it took place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember going back to that series. And also, I think we had a, lot, a decent amount of love for Clyde here in Chicago because that was the player looking at wing players. And I guess, you know, Dominique wasn't exactly Dominique or that battle with him and Mike never really came to fruition. But one thing that always stood, that stood out to me was going into that finals, Clyde said basically that he didn't see it as a mano-a-mano test against Mike. Do you think it would have been di- that could have been a different outcome had he viewed it that way and went at Michael would have just taken Clyde out of his game? 
Well, that was the way Michael looked at things, Cam, but that wasn't the way Clyde did. Clyde was a much more laid-back guy. He was very competitive, don't, don't, don't get me wrong, but he felt with guys like Terry Porter and Buck Williams and Jerome Kersey around him, they could be the better team. And you know what? I think they could have been the better team. They won game two, they come back to Portland, and they don't take care of business. So, um, you know, that, is, that isn't Clyde's – that wasn't the way Clyde carried himself. I don't think that would have worked for him. Now, Kerry, how was it covering Michael Jordan during his heyday, especially in 92, or throughout his, throughout his career? Well, I, I have a picture of DeMond's talking to him in the locker room at, at uh, I guess it was Mora Coliseum then, just the two of us before the game. In his early years, he was easy to get to. He was very good with the media. I asked Sam Smith about it. Mm-hmm. Then he became such a super, you know, he was a superhuman guy. Then you could only t- deal with him after games and in group sessions or at practices. So he, he knew how to work the media. He was actually pretty good, but you weren't going to get an, a, a one-on-one with him after about, I'd say, 1989-90. Now, you did mention in your timeline, too, of shaking it out, talking about Isaiah Thomas and obviously the Trailblazers uh, met up with the Pistons in, uh, in the finals. Uh, you said I, covering Isaiah was okay. So do you think he gets an honest uh, assessment What's going on right now was in the media talking about how he didn't shake his hand and how he was up with the dream team. Uh, how was it covering Isaiah Thomas? Well, first of all, that, that I agree with Michael on that. That was Bush League that the Pistons wouldn't shake hands. I always felt that Lambeer was the, the real villain on that group. Him and Rick Mahorn were the guys that were, you know, the bad boys. And Isaiah was the leader of that group, but I didn't think he was a lot of the same element as those two guys. Uh, John Sally was another one. Rodman was there. So it was quite a, a group of characters. And, uh, you know, I, I really felt that uh, Isaiah was okay to deal with. It wasn't like I had a lot of dealings with him, him being on the other team, me covering Portland mostly. Dean Davis, we have Kerry Eckers. Follow him at Kerry Eckers. Definitely a great sports writer and author. Kerry, I want to stick with that first finals against the Blazers, against the Pistons. Which team were, was the best competition? Was it the Bulls, even though the, 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 uh, the Pistons only gave them one game and the Blazers took two games? Actually, we were talking about this on the show, that game six. The Blazers were really supposed to win that. The Bulls had the scrubs in with Scotty, and it, it flipped. Mm-hmm. But which team was the, the better competition between the two, those bad boy Pistons or those early young Bulls? I'd say it was right, right about a draw, Ken. I really would. The Detroit was such a great defensive team and, and so physical and so uh, intimidating. They played that style that the Knicks later played under Pat Riley. Uh, ironically, Dick Carter, who was a former Oregon basketball coach, was an assistant on both those teams. He was the guy that made them the tough, tough side on defense. So they, they were – and then at the other end, Chicago was very good because of number one, Jordan, number two, Pippen. Mm-hmm. And they just had a much uh, – they didn't have as good a supporting cast, I would say. But when you have those two guys, and either Horace Grant or, or Dennis Rodman is the number three, you're pretty tough. So I'd say it was, it was about an even draw there. Yeah, and something you said earlier, I think that 92 Portland team was deep. I think talent-wise, they probably had more talent than the Bulls when it came to bo- talented bodies. I think they had more talented bodies than the Bulls at that point. I, uh, I one- agree with that because they, they brought in Danny Ainge there in yep. mm-hmm. month. They have Cliff, yeah. a young Cliff Robinson. Yeah. Uh, they had a lot of depth there. You know what? I was going to say this for later, but I, I just want to do it now. All right. So I used to have this book in the late 80s, early 90s that had every basketball player that was in a professional basketball player and also going to the kids that were like in high school. And one of the guys in that section was Cliff Robinson. And like for us, he was a guy with the headband and he had a lot of potential. Uncle Cliff. But- yeah, but how well? Because but but before like he left to go to Phoenix, I believe he went to Phoenix after the Blazers. He kind of finally hit on that potential. 
How long did it take and how did the fans feel that this this young talent, think about what Cliff Robinson will be in this NBA, being a long wing player that, that could probably get out now. But how did fans feel towards Cliff Robinson? Was it always love or did sometimes they wanted him to come along? Because actually, if he was a better player in that finals, perhaps the, 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 the titles changed and the Portland wins the title instead of the Bulls. Well, actually, uh, you know, Cliff played 18 years in the league, so I thought he had a fantastic career. He probably fit in as a person better with the jail blazers of the late 90s than the, Bla- early, the, the, the Drexler blazers of the early 90s. He came in in 1989, if you can believe it, as a second-round draft pick. But immediately, he was their sixth man. He played very well that first year. I think it was in 92, he was the sixth man of the year. So, And then he became a starter. He became an all-star in Portland. So I would say he came of age as a player right at the last couple of years in, in Portland and, you know, and was able to carry that out. Now, as far as deportment, how did the, play, uh, the fans feel about him? He got himself into a couple uh, incidents, and I think they didn't, the fans didn't like that. On the other hand, here's a guy that's playing very well, and they'll overlook that if you score 25 points a night. Mm. Hey, listen, did you coin the phrase, the phrase jailblazers? Oh, no, I didn't. No, that was okay. from, a, from a weekly uh, newspaper in the late 90s, uh, uh, and they, they came up with it. I remember, uh, I remember Rasheed Wallace sneering at it and saying, ha, he says, I'll laugh at that. None of us have been in jail. So. <laughs> and, and there it is. Kerry Sayers, uh, Kerry Eggers right here joining us. Make sure you follow Kerry on Twitter at Kerry Eggers. Uh, Kerry, how about this? What was the mindset of the Blazers going into that 92 finals? They just played the Pistons in the finals. And that was one thing that we were kind of like really uh, seeing the mindset of a Michael Jordan, also the mindset of a team going into a championship. What was the mindset of the Blazers going into that 92 championship? Much different, DeMond's, than it had been in 90. They hadn't been there before. Uh, Detroit had, and, and I think Detroit had the upper hand mentally. Mm-hmm. By 91, the Blazers thought they were the best team in basketball, and they certainly felt that in 92. They came in with a chip on their shoulder because the Bulls had been making comments through that season about how this team was kind of a, a sissy team. They weren't tough. They weren't a good defensive team. And the Blazers thought they were a good defensive team. And so they went into that series expecting to win and with a chip on their shoulder, and it still wasn't enough against Michael Jordan. Now, looking at those teams, I mean, you had those early, early 90, late 80s, early 90s Blazers, even going into the Blazers when Scottie Pippen eventually made it there. But going back to the early ones, what was the one – what do you think was the one piece – a one player that should have that could have gotten them over the hump. What was missing from that team that could have eventually led them to win a championship? And that's that's a good question. You know, they had an all-star center in Kevin Duckworth. They had a, one of the best power forwards in the game in Buck Williams. Uh, Jerome Kersey was a mm. phenom as far as the way he ran the court and hustled. Mm-hmm. And then they had the backcourt, two all-stars in, in Terry Porter and Clyde Drexler. I don't think they really lacked anything major. They had a decent bench, especially in the last couple of years. What they just lacked was they ran into a very good Detroit team, and then they ran into a, a, a unbelievable Chicago team, at least an unbelievable player in, 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 in Jordan. 91, really, DeMoss was the year they should have won it. And, again, as I said, they won 63 games, and then they, they, they blew it against the Lakers in, in the conference finals. They were a better team than the Lakers that year. Kerry, mm. did Rick Adelman get outcoached by Phil Jackson in the finals? Well, I don't know what you can do is, unless you're going to play like a double team out at half court on, on Michael. I mean, he just had a fantastic game, and uh, I, I didn't feel that way. I thought Rick was a very good coach. Phil had had a, an up, the ultimate weapon and, and a great player, a great second banana in Scottie Pippen, and that was, that was the difference in my opinion. 
Like, for instance, we, we're Chicagoans. We, we know everything about the 84 draft. Uh, there's always been a lot on Sam Bowie, unfortunately, especially with his injury history at Kentucky. And the reason, of course, Portland didn't take him is because they had a wing player, Clyde. And let's not forget back in those days, you did not win from the perimeter. So you were going with the big. But one thing that always stood out to me, it, it was always a dark cloud in a way on, on Sam Bowie. Was there anything with, with Clyde that they, there was something where, maybe not the fan base, but there was an extra little chink in his armor due to the fact that because he was there, they didn't take the guy that went on to become the best player, or did he not care about it and the fan base not care about it? I don't think he cared about it. I know the fan base would have loved to have had Jordan. Um, thinking back to that, that season, uh, or that 84 draft, uh, Sam Bowie, to me, it was a big mistake, not because he would – I think their thinking was fine. They had Jim Paxson and who was an all-star and a young Clyde Grexer. But the problem was Bowie had had two leg injuries, two broken legs at, at, at Kentucky already. Now I know he passed the physicals, but I would, that would have waved a red flag to me. So I, I just think it was a, I mean, it was the biggest mistake they've ever made. Obviously they did, they had a chance to get a, a guy that was, you know, the, maybe the greatest player of all time or Hakeem Olajuwon if they'd had the number one pick, they got the number two. So anyway, uh, the, the problem with that was, uh, I don't think Clyde never, ever felt that way. He felt he was as good a player as anybody in the game. That He said, I have to have that mindset, Kerry. Mm. Dean Davis, right now we have Kerry Eggers. Follow him at Kerry Eggers. Kerry, was there anything so far in this documentary, any questions that you want an answer to that still haven't been come up yet? That's a great question. I was a little surprised that he touched upon the, the gambling, uh, which, uh, you know, he has, he has the ultimate uh, say, I guess, on what is, is shown, and I thought, he probably felt that he wanted to get his, he wanted to express his feelings about it, but it didn't, you know, he says, I didn't have a gambling problem. I have a competition problem. Well, he might have a competition problem, but when you're losing the kind of money that he's making, I think it's a problem. I know David Aldridge wrote today, and I love David Aldridge. He's a fantastic writer, but he said that $10,000 to, uh, to uh, Michael was like $10 to us. That may be true, but when you're, when you're gambling in big money like that, I don't think it's a good thing, especially, uh, when, when you have uh, professional gamblers that are involved with that. So that, that's one thing that I was surprised that he, that they, that, uh, he touched on. And I'm just trying to think if there's anything that I know what we're going to see in the, the last two, two uh, epi- or last four episodes are going to be a lot, a lot of the same. And I, I think I've really enjoyed it so far. Mm. Look, one of our beloved players in Scottie Pippen, really his best run outside of Chicago, because Houston doesn't count, was with Portland. I think we kind of rooted for Portland a little bit here. I think we kind of liked the Trailblazers, to be honest. I, I mean, listen, I was a Scottie Pippen fan, so I rooted for him most. Yeah, most yeah like we wanted them to, we wanted him to get another ring. Yeah. So we, in turn, rooted for the Blazers. And I always kind of liked those Blazers teams back in that, even though I wish they had a go to guy back then, like consistent, because I think when you have a lot of talent on the team, kind of reminds me like those old supersonic teams where it's like it's too many of us on this team. Mm-hmm. But how beloved is Scottie Pippen, and where does he rank in the Portland hierarchy? Is of, I know he's not Bill Walton, and he's definitely like Clyde and a few other guys, like you mentioned Buck Williams. But where does he rank in the favorite Portland athletes? Uh, where are we going to find our beloved Scottie there? Well, he played here four years, and he was 34 when he came in, but he made his impact. He, he was the leader of that group. He did his very best to steer the jailblazers in the right direction. They got to the conference finals in 2000. They were as good as any team in basketball. Mm-hmm. They were ahead of game seven against Shaq and Kobe. They were ahead by 15 points going into the fourth quarter. They missed 13 straight shots. They lost that game. Had they won that game, Ken, 
I think they'd have they'd have they'd have they've been against in Indiana in the finals. I think they'd have beat Indiana. Mm-hmm. I don't think they would have made the trades that they made after that. They might have won two or three titles. Scotty was a big part of that. Uh, he played some point guard at that point. He wasn't much of a scorer by that time, but he was a leader. He could still rebound. He was a good passer. He was a smart player. And again, as I said, he tried to steer them in the right direction. Didn't quite get that done. Kerry, did you cover the 92 Olympics, the uh, dream team? Yes, I did. Okay, so can you give us maybe some... uh, some... Oh, you mean in Barcelona? In Barcelona, yes. Oh, okay. But what we covered, I mean, we had the uh, Tournament of the Americas in Portland. We had the finals for that year. Tournament of the Americas and the draft. I mean, it was a crazy month. Uh, but we got to see the dream team play, you know, against the the in the qualifying tournament. Well, how was it just covering them even there? Covering that team was arguably probably the greatest uh, basketball team ever formed. <laughs> it was like a circus coming in. It really was. And and at that time, all the media had already converged on Portland, and they decided to stay. There must have been a couple hundred media, and that was a lot in those days. And mm. and of course, the fans as they, they they couldn't walk anywhere outside the stadium, outside the arena. Um, it was fun to have all those that, as you say, the greatest team of all time. You had Magic and Bird, the, the kind of the old heads, and you had Jordan and Clyde and Chris Mullen and 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 Stockton and Malone and David Robinson. I mean, what a unbelievable! Every one of those guys, except Christian Leitner, I think, is headed is in the Hall of Fame or headed there. Yeah, yeah, and probably because of Duke, Christian Leitner is going to get into the Hall of Fame since it's not it's not the NBA Hall of Fame; it's yeah, well, the Basketball Hall of Fame. Indiv- individually, individually, yeah. he might get in, but you know, the team, yeah, he's there. But look, let me ask you this, uh, since you were you covered that team in the Tournament of Americas. Um, if you had to choose, we know uh, Isaiah Thompson, how he feels. I, I think we all think Isaiah should have made the team, but we all see why he didn't, because I don't want to sip wine in Barcelona with a guy that I don't like. <laughs> um, but if you had to pick and choose as far as who, who was in the NBA and deserved to be on that team outside of Isaiah Thomas, who would you put on that team and who would you have removed from that team? Well, it, it's, you know, I, it's interesting to think, that Michael thinks that, or he tries to, uh, in this, in, the, in, in, I guess it was episode six, tried to say that uh, he didn't have anything to do with, with Isaiah not being on the team. I think he did have something to do with it. I don't know how much of a pull he had, but I think he had a lot of pull. And, and so the reason that Isaiah was on the team, was not on the team, was because Detroit and Chicago had such a rivalry and, and Michael didn't like him. I think let's get that out of the way. Which player in those days would I have put on? I mean, the reason they had Mullen on the team was because they felt they needed more shooting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, as a pure basketball player, was he one of the top 10 guys or 11 guys at that time? Maybe not. I mean, you had guys like Larry Nance and uh, I'm trying to remember, you know, Mark Price was a great point guard, but I, I think they did a heck of a job in picking the team. Again, I, I think it came down to Clyde and Isaiah and, and Clyde, I think he deserved it. Yeah, I did too. I definitely. I, listen, yeah. I, I was telling the guys last week. I was like, he really didn't get on there until like a month before yeah. the Olympic, like right around the finals time. I was like, it's, but as a as a fan, I knew and wanted Clyde to get on there. So it was great that he finally got his spot to be on there because he deserved to be. Funny yeah. story. I've got a picture of myself and Clyde in the locker room during the playoffs in Phoenix. And that day, I got a tip that he was going to be on the team. And after the game, I, I asked him. I said, Clyde, tell me, are you on this team? And he, had, he has his arm around me in the picture, and he's telling me, Kerry, you know I can't say anything about that. But it was true. And, and later that night they announced it, and, and it was a great thing for him and, and for the city of Portland to have him on that team. 
Now, Kerry, you mentioned the jailblazers quite a few times so far right now. You have the book that I believe is out right now. Uh, just give us a just give us a behind the scenes look at actually covering that team. Now, it was a, it was a very polarizing team. A lot of people liked them. A lot of people did like them. We rooted for them because, you know, Scottie Pippen was there. We obviously big fans of Scottie Pippen. But give us a behind the scenes look at covering that team. Mm-hmm. Well, it came in right after that great group with Clyde and and Terry and, and that group. In 94, they started to break it up. Bob Whitsitt came in as general manager. They hired P.J. Carlissimo. At that time, they brought in J.R. Ryder and Rasheed Wallace, and that's when the start of the – it was about a decade-long era. These guys were very good basketball players. It, it was a team that had a tremendous amount of talent. I would argue too much talent in a couple of those mm-hmm. years under Mike Dunleavy. Yeah. Um, they got to the – like I said, they got to the conference finals, never got to the finals, and a big part of that was deportment. Uh, you know, a lot of problems with Rashid set records for uh, uh, technicals in a season and a career. Uh, he had a lot of deportment issues. J.R. Ryder was, had, had a number of times when he was late for fly, flights or, or games, and he was a big problem, even though he was a, probably an all-star caliber player. Uh, they had guys like Bonzi Wells and Reuben Patterson, and these guys had issues. And so I think it, it played its part in them not achieving what they could have had uh, as a team, it, you know, just off their talent. Do they appear, maybe sometimes come back up to Portland sometimes, maybe, uh, you know, older players come back to see the younger team? Are they, uh, do you still see their faces every once in a while? Well, uh, you know, for, for instance, Chris Dudley was on that team. He ran for governor in Oregon in 2012. Steve Kerr, of course, we see him all the time. Mm-hmm. He was on that team one year. Uh, Brian Grant lives in town, is very popular. He's one of the great guys. He won the J. Walter Kennedy Citizenship Award. He was on that team. I should mm-hmm. emphasize this wasn't just a team around us. They had some great individuals. I put Scotty in that in that category. He's very well thought of in town, and uh, and I, I, I like Scotty. Yeah, I mean, physically, if you can go if you go back and think about how physically, athletically, I mean, how physically gifted Rashid was. Yeah. Like, if he really just wanted to dominate, it would have been frightening yeah. when you think about it. But look, this is a question I have for you, Kerry. With the window was going on with the Jailblazers, what was management saying? Like, wh- at what point could they could they not sit there and point to the fact that the team wasn't doing bad, but you had players getting into so many so many issues and troubles? Uh, the whole Ruben Patterson thing is what stands out the most to yeah, me like yeah. that's the real one like what was managed by the way they signed Ruben after we went through that thing with his nanny the, the, the third degree mm-hmm. rape charge yeah, like what was the what was management's excuse for bringing in so many players and all the issues that it seemed like these players just couldn't maintain proper decorum? Very simple. Bob Whitz said, I didn't major in chemistry in college. Mm. Yeah, and he thought that was funny. Mm. So, you know, he basically his idea, Ken, was I'm gonna get as much talent as I can on this team. We're not gonna worry about deportment, and it's up to the coach to make it work. And actually, every coach I talked to for my book, I talked to all four of the coaches. P.J. Carlissimo, Mike Dunleavy, Maurice Cheeks, and, and then Nate McMillan sort of at the end. And he, all of them said, look, I, I would like to have as much talent. I'll, I'll make it work. But they couldn't make it work. And look, my last one, it's about the modern-day uh, Blazers. You have two phenomenal guards, but you still kind of have a diminutive backcourt. At what point do they break it up? Because it's going to be hard for two guards to come out of the West. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, you know, they're not going to get rid of Damian. I think Damian retires here. He seems to want to. He's made his home here. I think he'll be here. Probably McCollum will get traded at some point. He also likes it here. He's very popular. They're the two most popular players with the fans. I do think it's coming, though, that they will make a deal at some point. They've got to get stronger in the, at the forward position. They're very good at center right now, but they need to get some more wing-type players that can help them. 
Carrie, now we're uh, this last one for me too. Uh, we're going through obviously pandemic right now and sports are on hold. Uh, that's why we have you on talking about the last dance. But you've been covering sports for a very long time. Obviously, we haven't seen anything like this. But what do you think is going to be, uh, not the outcome, but when, you, when do you expect to probably see some sports uh, back out there for the American public? It sounds to me like we're going to have basketball, NBA basketball this summer without fans. I don't know. It sounds like maybe in Vegas, but who knows if that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to be. I think it's going to be better than nothing, but it's going to be something very, very different than we ever have, have faced. And, and I'm really sorry about it. Uh, I would have loved to have seen the Clippers and the Lakers go at it in the Western Conference Finals, for instance. I think there's a lot of great matchups, and I'd love to see how Milwaukee could do in the East. So I think we'll see that, but it's going to be later, and it's going to be without fans. All right. Kerry, we definitely appreciate it. Everybody, make sure you go out and get trailblazers. I mean, jailblazers. I'm sorry. They're not the trailblazers. They're the jailblazers. <laughs> Ding! But uh, make sure you go out and you get his book and support. Kerry, we really look forward to talking to you down the line. This was a great conversation. And you stay safe during this COVID uh, shelter in place. Thank you very much. Nice being on with you guys. Thank you, Kerry.